A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Maybe you'd see a movie by yourself, take a rejuvenating nap, curl up with a good book, or catch up with an old friend. Or maybe you'd just enjoy doing nothing for once. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you so you can make it a priority. And therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. BetterHelp offers convenient, affordable online therapy that comes to you. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash morning report today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash morning report. Recently on the Marketplace Morning Report, you heard our Democracy in the Desert series. We took you to places characterized by researchers as news deserts to see what communities stand to lose when they're without a local news ecosystem, especially during an election year. This kind of reporting takes resources. David Brancaccio went on a six-day reporting trip with two of our producers, grounding themselves in these communities and meeting locals who are trying to find solutions and fill the gaps. Every donation to Marketplace helps sustain this kind of in-depth journalism. Please give what you can today at marketplace.org slash donate. They say all politics is local. So where's the local news coverage this election year? Welcome to a Marketplace Morning Report special. We're calling Democracy in the Desert. I'm David Brancaccio. I've been traveling to what are called news deserts in Super Tuesday states to hear about the business models that are failing or informing voters as they make their choices. We begin our Democracy in the Desert coverage in Val Verde County, Texas, where Mexico is just across the river. Breakfast in one of the 204 counties in America researchers have labeled a news desert. Here at Skillets, in the county seat of Del Rio, there are biscuits smothered in chili. And surprise for a local news desert, one diner reading what turns out to be a daily local newspaper. Well, yes and no. He shows me it's Zocalo Acuna, the paper from Acuna, a city nearby but over in another country. Zocalo will cover big stories from South Texas for Spanish-speaking readers, but it's not big on covering the local races on the ballot on the Texas side. And had I been here on a Friday, there is an online news site that puts a paper edition on the stands one day a week. My son hooked me up to the Internet New York Times, but... uh... Nah, it's not the same. I want want to have something to hold. Bob Marshall, retired hospital administrator, says he is a big fan of Texas Public Radio out of San Antonio. Still, how do you find out about the local people running for office? Oh, the woman that cuts my hair. Yeah, she knows everybody and all the gossip. And I know exactly who to vote for by talking to Bibi. The woman who cuts my hair. Does she so, fact check her information? That's my only question. I don't know, but it's been pretty reliable, though. Valverde County once had a seven days a week newspaper, the Del Rio News Herald. It folded for good in late 2020. And you need a time machine to understand what's missing now. 
We had people covering business. I had people covering what's going on in the economy. Who's covering the economic development issues? Who's keeping an eye on just what kind of deals is the city council cutting? Diana Fuentes was editor and publisher of the Del Rio News Herald and left a dozen years ago when its business model was still in fair shape, supported by ads, the paid publication of legal notices, and subscriptions that could pay for extensive local coverage. There were always issues with the coaches, and are you paying the coach more than the you know, you're paying the math teacher? Nowadays, they're not covering that sort of thing anymore. Fuentes is currently executive director of IRE, the investigative reporters and editors nonprofit. Who's going to cover the school district in Del Rio? Uh, well, we've just moved our periodical section to the front of the library to give. Barbara uh, Galvan is reference librarian at the Val Verde County Library. We uh, try to keep as many uh, papers as possible, but it's harder and harder to find news locally so far off the beaten path. It is a small town, so we do have a lot of personal interaction with people who are running for local offices. We do get the uh, League of Women Voters handouts uh, for the elections, which is really nice, but they don't cover local politicians. It's only state and federal. The head of the county board of commissioners, Judge Lewis Owens, did try to find investors to save the News Herald. We were trying to buy the paper itself and everything that went along with it. They had a magazine, they had the newspaper, the building, everything. His thing was preserving a way to print all the required legal notices. I just couldn't put it together. I think the building itself would have been well worth it. Candidates running in next week's primary have their names on big campaign posters placed at intersections around town. And the library does have a decent internet connection if people want to come in to do their voting research ahead of time. Galvan, the librarian, takes no political sides, but she is on the side of context and fact-checking. You just need to verify, 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 and it, through multiple sources, because, you know, like I said, it's very important to get the pro-con um, on any subject. And remember I said there is a weekly local newspaper here? It's part of a nonpartisan online news site updated throughout the day that rose up when the old newspaper closed. Publisher Joel Langton. This is not a news desert. That's a crock of crap. Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism has the county-by-county breakdown of news deserts across the country, defined as places with very limited access to credible and comprehensive news that connects them with grassroots democracy and also gives them a sense of belonging to a greater community. Valverde County, Texas, is part of a group of six contiguous counties close to the U.S. border listed as news deserts. We just heard about the last daily newspaper in Valverde County that folded more than three years ago. So who's covering things now? If I can get a better understanding of what is needed... On a winter Wednesday in the county seat of Del Rio, the best show in town may be this regular meeting of the elected commissioners who see to the county's business. The presiding officer for the county is unhappy with the city, and his language is Texas spicy. We've met with him, and he's a dipshit. The commissioner's experts and residents are looking to fix low water pressure in one neighborhood. Things also get edgy about a location for early voting and the run-up to the Texas primary. The more cramped space wins. It's crucial stuff. And are there any reporters in this news desert to write up the highlights, you know, other than a visitor like me? Well, there is. A very experienced reporter named Karen Gleason. All politicians will talk to me. I make a deal with people. I say either answer my phone call 
or tomorrow morning I'm going to show up outside your office. And over the years, I have built trust with these people. Gleason's been reporting from this part of Texas since the 1980s, with many years at the Del Rio News-Herald, the daily paper that died in 2020. Now she works for the local online news site here called 830 Times. 830 is the area code. Karen is very good at stories small and stories big. They started coming across the river just upstream of the International Bridge where it's very shallow. She's talking about 2021 when thousands of people from Haiti gathered under the border bridge here seeking asylum. Now, if you need context and depth, our colleagues at Texas Public Radio would, in the fullness of time, provide that with an incisive and extensive podcast series called Line in the Land. Especially since the humanitarian need is so apparent and so great. But in the very first days of the story, locals were desperate for news on what was happening on the ground with Border Patrol limiting access. It was Gleason with the contacts to enlist help from the mayor who had gone to school with her son. He goes, we're going to hide you in the back of my car. They covered me with blankets and we went through the Border Patrol checkpoint at the fence. And he'd tell me like, "Okay, nobody's looking. 830 Times is nonpartisan and has a paper edition that comes out Fridays, plus occasional Facebook Live broadcasts. It is not the newspaper of yore, but it is a resource. Joel Langton, 830 Times publisher, tells me it is a crock of you-know-what that media researchers call this a desert. We put out anywhere from 24 to 40 pages of news every week. It's hyper-local, but if you... Talk to some pointy head from Northwestern University, they're going to say it's a news desert. Well, I guess what? You haven't set foot here. He's selling ads and paid legal notices to bring in money. Langton had a long career with the Air Force and did PR for the base here, Laughlin. Like many a startup, 830 Times has been supported in part by Joel's own savings. My retirement fund is not as good as it was, but it's not being drained as quickly as it was at one time either. And for now, his business also depends on the family money of one of his reporters, who, let me emphasize, is not complaining. You know, I am making probably about a third of what I was making at the News Herald. I am married to a very, very wonderful man who has agreed to basically pay all my bills. Valverde is one of six contiguous counties here classified as news deserts. Langton says he can count at least six other info sources in the region. Info, but is it news? A former border agent named Frank Lopez Jr. has a Facebook site with the handle U.S. Border Patriot, where he does stand-ups to camera TV correspondence style, often from the border fence. People coming across, he calls invaders. Is the Biden administration and Alejandro Mayorkas, the globalist. Lopez wears many hats. Border patriot, former chair of the county Republican Party, and candidate for U.S. Congress. But as I look across the scrubland here in South Texas, it's worth noting what a desert is. You still have shrubs, you have various plants, you just don't have as lush a, a landscape as you did in the past. That's Penny Muse Abernathy, a professor at Northwestern University's local news initiative that's done key work on the decline of local news in America. Her group lists 204 news deserts across the U.S. and 228 counties on the watch list at high risk for losing their last news outlet. Next, we turn to another Super Tuesday state, 
North Carolina to hear what happened when one of the biggest election scandals of the modern era played out in a county without many reporters. In fact, some experts say sparse local news coverage may have played parts in a congressional election so questionable there was a do-over. It not only happened in my own state, it happened in the congressional district, the North Carolina 9th Congressional District that I lived in at that point. Abernathy is one of the foremost experts on declining local news coverage in America. She's taking us back to the fall of 2018. A Baptist minister had seemed to win a seat in Congress by about 900 votes. What later became apparent is that all of the difference could be attributed to absentee ballots that had been cast in at least one of the counties. Some voters even claim that strangers came to their door offering to collect their ballots for them and even fill them out. That's WCNC-TV in Charlotte. The case was ugly. The candidate's own son, himself a U.S. attorney, testified that he had warned his father about hiring a political operative who offered sketchy services. I told him that collecting ballots was a felony. In a very rare occurrence in a race for U.S. Congress, officials ordered a new election, a blockbuster story. Yet, Abernathy noticed coverage was only minimal. You'd think evidence of election fraud would be the talk of the district and drive voters in the special election to the polls to make sure their vote got counted. Instead, turnout was only so-so, down by a third from the first election. Abernathy draws a line from voter apathy to the desertification of local news. What we've seen over the last 20 years as the quality and quantity of our local news has dropped precipitously, so has participation in local elections. And there's another feature about this sorry tale that disturbs people worried about the decline of local news. It's how the election shenanigans first came to light. It was not a local Woodward or Bernstein-style reporter on the beat. No, it absolutely wasn't. The real uncovering of this came from political scientists who were looking and noticing immediately the anomaly occurring with election returns in one specific county. The absentee ballots were weird in Bladen County. It has a paper, but given what's happening with the Internet and ad revenue, it doesn't have the reporting staff papers used to have when Abernathy started out in the business nearby. They have to be very selective about the stories they cover. You just don't have the bandwidth to do it. The political operative in the absentee ballot scandal was charged but died before trial. The original candidate, Mark Harris, was never charged with anything and, as it happens, is running for Congress in the Republican primary. And who needs local papers if we have phones full of headlines? What travels on your cell phone? Way more than 95 percent of that is uh, national news. So, you know, we used to say all politics is local, but in the absence of local news, all politics and all news becomes national. The local news initiative at Medill tracks news deserts as well as solutions, including social entrepreneurs who work to fill in gaps in local coverage. Based in Durham, a nonprofit called Carolina Public Press doesn't see itself as a replacement for local newspapers, but with a roster of freelancers and two staff reporters, it has been able to do investigative work that moves the needle. Lisa Lopez is interim executive director. Either with our digital platform and or partnerships with other news organizations like radio, and we find out what topics they would like to see us cover, as well as how they would like to receive the news. 
such as texting news stories to readers in rural counties with spotty internet. And editor-in-chief Frank Taylor says his team has reported on weaknesses in state law, leading to low rates of prosecution for sexual assault. And as a result of our reporting, legislation passed, it passed unanimously in the legislature, which if you know the North Carolina legislature, it can be a toxically partisan place. Innovations to irrigate or replant news deserts are happening around the country. After the Oxford Press in Ohio folded for good a month ago, students at nearby Miami University jumped in, adding a local news section to the student newspaper. In Maine, many for-profit newspapers were rolled up last year into a single nonprofit umbrella organization. But also popping up are news-like publications filled with algorithm-generated content and items that look like news but are really partisan talking points. Next, we cross the border to Virginia to visit a news desert surprisingly close to Washington, D.C. It is this newspaper's desire to print all of the news throughout King George County. A paper called the King George News. For your convenience, we have secured correspondence in every section of the county whose names appear in this article. Not hot off the presses, but yellowed in a museum. It's from June 1948. Renee Parker, I'm uh, currently the president of the King George Historical Society. That vintage paper bit the dust decades ago. The last local paper published in this county was a different one called the King George Journal. Joel Davis was the final editor and publisher who valiantly kept things going for about a year till the final edition in 2017. When I first got the job, three of the largest advertisers called within a month and, you know, pulled their advertising. And I asked why. And they said, well, you know, it's free on Facebook. Can you beat free? Well, obviously not. Again, Renee Parker at the Historical Society, who once ran for county supervisor. Unfortunately, there are, you know, whatever percent of the population will get whatever they need off Facebook. So they're reading whatever, you know, somebody's hoping that they'll believe because they believe it, um, which can be good and can be bad. Uh, We see a lot of that in our local elections. The Freelance Star newspaper, published a half hour away in Fredericksburg, does have an ace reporter named Kathy Dyson, who gets over here when she can. It's owned by Lee Enterprises, which has papers in 25 states, and its staff, like so many newspapers around the country, given low ad revenue, is much reduced nowadays. Here's King George resident Lynn Pardee. I do family law. I work with children mostly, and um, I work down in Montrose. Half hour away. And they have papers down there. I can read and know what the kids are doing at the high school. I can read what's going on locally in their government. My name is Kara Gonzalez. I recently finished my four-year term on the local county school board. A lot of reporters doing sustained coverage. What was your experience in terms of news media interest? I'm going to say none, but I'd have to think about whether or not that's accurate. So you mentioned the Freelance Star, the Fredericksburg paper. Um, I'm trying to think. We probably made a couple, maybe an article or two in there, maybe. Well, my name is Ed Jones. I spent the first 18 years of my life living on the Navy base, which is the largest employer in King George County. That's archive sounds since the weekend we visited. Crews were not firing their tests down the Potomac from Naval Surface Warfare Center Dahlgren. From the time I was in high school to almost 50 years later, I worked at the Freelance Star newspaper in Fredericksburg. 
I had just about every position at that paper you can think of, from film critic to uh, editorial page editor to editor. It's ironic that the county is larger than it's ever been, more complex than it's ever been, and yet the news resources are depleted. Even with smartphones full of information. It has to be credible information. So how do you determine whether it's credible? Well, back in the day, if you trusted your local newspaper, they're not trying to throw me a curveball. Some newsstands here display the Northern Neck Sentinel, a free publication from two counties over. The online edition we saw had headlines comparing, quote, leftist violence to 1930s Germany and a headline, illegal aliens invade region. There was an item of local news from King George about county supervisors getting sworn in. This evolving media landscape places burdens on residents. My name is Adam Simonoff, concerned citizen, live in King George, Virginia. Since 1983, I'm a retired engineer. I used to do my thing for the Navy. Force protection basically teaches us not to talk too much about it. You have a theory that um, people create their own news deserts? Yeah, I do. I think that if you don't want to look at mainstream media and then compare it to other media and you only want to look at something that you agree with, You've now blocked yourself off and you've created your own news desert because you're not checking. You're going to listen to perhaps what a politician tells you, and you're not going to listen to what a news reporter tells you. Let's put all of this together now with a conversation with a man in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley who had to pull the plug on the local newspaper he published for years and now gets by by printing campus newspapers. We spoke on a winter night in a space above the darkened room that houses his printing presses. Keith Stickley, Shenandoah Publications, thanks for having me by. Sure, sure. Glad you're here. You're a longtime newspaper man. You originally were on the editorial side? Always on the editorial side. But what brought you back here? Well, this is my hometown. And uh, when, when I was born here, it was a, it was a town of 1,500 or so. We often joked that we not only knew all, all the people, but we knew their animals. <laughs> and since you have a newspaper background, you thought you might start a newspaper? Well, I didn't come back here for that purpose. I actually came back here to uh, to manage an existing newspaper here, and uh, and I did for about ten years, and and we had a disagreement with the publisher, and uh, so I I left that paper and created my own. And what was that called? It was called the Free Press. And did it make you rich quick? <laughs> the newspaper that I created in 1985 only had two profitable years. That was the first two years. And I realized at, at that time that I was going to have to do something because this is my hometown. Yeah. So I said, so, so I had to create this printing company. So we, we created the printing company to subsidize the newspaper. And so we, we used printing margins to support a bad habit. And that was a newspaper that had reporters that covered things? Yeah, it was a, a pretty aggressive newspaper, actually. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the uh, county supervisors uh, said after, the, after we closed the paper that the best thing ever happened to this county was that we closed. 
In other words, a politician didn't like because uh, because our coverage was too aggressive. But in 2019, uh, it, it became clear that we we were not going to be able to continue to do this. First of all, I was getting older and not able to keep up with the pace and and, and you know the deadline, and and we were losing money with it, and we'd been losing money for 32 years. These days, the printing company, it's for instance, what college newspapers. Yeah, we print uh, 12 university newspapers here for Virginia, and we print George Washington University student newspaper here, and one for Maryland, a, a little college out in uh, southern Maryland, St. Mary's College. We print that here. We're now um, a little bit more diversified in what we do because we, we, we'll print most anything we can, we can do to, to keep our little business afloat. This is an election year. You think people suffer when they don't have what you would call aggressive coverage of local issues? Well, they suffer at any time because there's no good, credible source of information in this county today. Even though it has one newspaper, there are 21,000 postal addresses in this county. The only newspaper left in this county reaches fewer than 10% of those. But Keith, you have a unique vantage point for looking out at the newspaper industry in lots of Virginia, and you're seeing the papers that are still with us in financial distress? I'm spending the the evening collecting printing bills for publishers who can't pay their invoices. Every month, I have to to dun seven or eight publishers who simply don't have the, the money to pay their printing bill. Who do we blame, the Internet? Well, there's a lot of blame to go around, for sure. Every town in this county, every single town except one, had one hardware store, and some of them two. Today, Lowe's is the only hardware store in this county. So all of those people, all those families that owned those stores, they all advertised in the local newspaper. Lowe's doesn't advertise in the local newspaper. They might occasionally put an insert in, but they don't. They're marketing companies in wherever are not using local media for those ads. And the result of that is obvious. Uh, that's a big chunk that, that comes out of the newspapers. So number one, a contraction of retail as chains move in. So newspapers uh, decided 30 years ago that they'd jump on this on the Internet bandwagon. They'd create a website. And so we would talk about these things and say, oh, you got to have a website. So that's all fine. I said, so what can you make on a website? I said, well, we can make 10 cents on the dollar. So if we're selling a dollar's worth of advertising in print, we can make 10 cents on the web. That went on for 20 years. You go to the store and say, I, I, I'm going to sell you a print media ad, and, and as a bonus, I'll put you on my website. So the guy says, website? I've got a website. Why do I want to be on your website? Why am I going to pay you a bonus to pay print, and you're not reaching anybody, but you've got a website? Well, I've got a website. My website looks better than yours, in fact. So the web hasn't worked for community journalism. Now, as circulation fell off toward the end of the newspaper, and you said you know some people are getting their news from Facebook, mm-hmm. I mean, there can be legitimate news passed along by Facebook, but some of what you get on social media is not fact-checked no, by a not. reporter, no, and, and right. yet it gets repeated as – as as gospel. Well, there, there are millions of conspiracy theories that are spawned on the on the internet, and there are just no editors, and, and uh, there's no accountability. 
You might have people here in the community willing to voice an opinion right. about what's right. going on, right. but that's different from having a reporter who was at the meeting and actually listened to what right. you know, what was decided and what money went where. Right, right. And we, we, we're probably printing uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 uh, weeklies, monthlies, and papers like that. But there are very few of those publications that are printed here that are not experiencing financial difficulty. But the ones that, that seem to be doing the best are the ones that are relying on soft news. They're not covering government. They're not covering the courts. But they're chock full of feature material. Uh, a new banjo player showed up in town. That's all nice, but it's not giving the community the kind of information that the community needs to vote. Are their tax monies being properly spent? With the internet and all this social media and new forms of communication, there's such a rich variety of places that you can find out information, some of it news, some of it not, except on the hyper-local coverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't get that. You know, it was newspapers that were very good at that part. They were. They were. But it costs. It, it costs money to do that, even in a town this size. It's the opposite of a virtuous cycle. It's a vicious cycle, right? Because you have declining subscriptions, so you have less money to have resources to do the coverage, and then you have less to offer so that subscriptions go down. All right, so they'll cover the government shutdown. Well, they will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The D.C. reporters working for national news organizations. Mm -hmm. But on primary day, Mm -hmm. if there's a county official running, Mm -hmm. they're not going to cover that. They don't have that. No, you don't. You're not going to find out what what happened. So basically, the loss of these community newspapers has just created a sea of ignorance, and and there's nothing. There's no obvious solution to that problem because of the expense. The newspaper economics have been eroding now for probably a half a century, and they've just reached the point now where there's nothing that can be done about it. I don't. I don't see a way to do this just to to bring those back, uh, whether it's print or not. Yeah. Uh, now you can certainly do, you know, a website, but can you make any money on a website? Yeah, enough money to hire enough reporters to cover city council meetings to and in courts. Well, Keith Stickley, thank you very much. Enjoyed it very much. Always enjoy talking about newspapers. As we wrap up for now, let's recall the definition of a news desert used by the media scholar who popularized the term. It's seen as a rural, urban, or suburban place where residents have limited access to the types of credible and comprehensive news that connects them with grassroots democracy and also gives them a sense of belonging to a greater community. We look forward to staying on this beat in this election year to explore the extent to which innovators and public-spirited funders can come up with new business models to fill deficits and news voids. Do promising local initiatives add up? Will emerging artificial intelligence systems power local news gathering or further hollow them out? Can we give voters new tools to distinguish ersatz news from news? Stay tuned, as we still like to say, for more Democracy in the Desert coverage on the air and online. This series was produced by Alex Schroeder. Our digital producers were Dylan Mietnin and Virginia Smith. 
Our audio engineer was Brian Allison. The Marketplace Morning Report executive producer is Kelly Silvera. The GM of Marketplace is Neil Scarborough. I'm David Brancaccio, and this is from APM, American Public Media. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy.